false hope to sinners. Now listen. It promises them that they can have eternal life yet continue to live in rebellion against God. Indeed, it encourages people to claim Jesus as Savior yet defer until later the commitment to obey Him as Lord. It promises salvation from hell but not necessarily freedom from iniquity, which is another word for sin. It offers false security to people who revel in the sins of the flesh and spurn or reject the way of holiness. By separating faith from faithfulness, it leaves the impression that intellectual assent is as valid as wholehearted obedience to the truth. Thus, the good news of Christ has given way to the bad news of an insidious, easy believism. Easy believism. That makes no moral demands on the lives of sinners. It is not the same message Jesus proclaimed. And I agree wholeheartedly. Beloved, churches all across our country, and I wouldn't exclude this one, contain people who profess with their mouths to be Christian. But, in reality, they live no differently, morally speaking, than their non-Christian neighbors. And in some cases... They even live worse. What are we to make of that? Should we assume, as some have, that there are actually two types of Christians? You know, the Christians who love and are growing, the process, right? Who are growing in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ are striving to follow Him, obey Him, through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides, abides, lives inside of them, and are being changed into the image of Jesus Christ little by little and day by day? Is there that type of Christian and then the other one? The one who seems indifferent to the Lord? Not seriously concerned about His commandments or their sin and do not resemble Jesus Christ in any clear way and yet profess to be Christian. Are there two types of Christian? Well, I believe 1 John has something to say about that. And it addresses that specific issue on multiple levels and in different ways. So let me review, in case you you haven't been here, or just by way of reminder for those that have, let me review just a few things we've said so far. Not perfectly, beloved. Not perfectly, but as an overall pattern of life, Christians, true Christians, authentic Christians, the real deal Christians, walk in the light. 
These are the things that we've learned through 1 John so far as we've moved through the passages. They walk in the light. They conduct themselves, their lives, according to God's righteousness and His truth. His Word. Those 66 books that Tim was talking about. The Bible. They are not, they are not indifferent to sin. But they confess it. And they fight. And it is a fight to avoid it. They obey. Not perfectly. But as the pattern of their life, they obey the commands of Christ. And today we will add another item to that list. True Christians. The real deal. Authentic Christians. They... They love one another. They love one another. Now let me quickly explain something about 1 John. As we move through 1 John, he will, he will come back to the same topic again. For instance, he will come back to the issue of sin and of righteousness and of love as we move through the chapters and it's kind of neat because what he does is as he comes back to the topic, he elaborates, he adds, and he begins to connect them together. Because what he's doing is he's giving a full and complete picture of what it means to be a Christian, to be in fellowship with God who is light. He's like a father. This is how I've heard it explained and I thought it was beautiful. He's like a father who sits down with his child and he, he's trying to help his child understand something. So he begins to explain it, but he comes at it on multiple levels and in multiple ways, and he keeps coming back to that same issue again and again until hopefully this child really gets it and understands it. And so as we move through the text, we're going to see that. This won't be the last time John talks about love, but here it is now introduced in chapter 2. So let's look at the chapter together. Let's look at God's Word. First John 2 Verse 7, just follow along with me in your Bibles as I read. Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing, no, no new, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This morning, if you have an outline or a bulletin, you have an outline inside of that bulletin that you can use to follow along, take notes if that's what you do. But we're going to consider three details, three details regarding what I'm calling brotherly love. That's love for one another, Christians, so that we might begin to understand its necessity and significance for the Christian. For the Christian. Three points. We're going to look at the command to love, the cause of love, 
and the confirmation of love. Okay? The command of love, the cause of love, and the confirmation of love. That's where we're going this morning. Now, before we jump into this, let me just say something. And I've said this before, but I want to keep saying it. When you hear something that the Apostle John says that should be true in your life as a Christian, and you recognize that it isn't exactly, or it hasn't been lately, or to some degree it is diminished, the right response for the Christian would be confession, repentance, and obedience. That is the process, beloved, that God uses to slowly, methodically, carefully, surely conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. But if your response is this, in other words, you realize that these things are not necessarily true in your life, but you have indifference to that. You walk away and nothing changes. Then based on all that 1 John says, that is a very strong indication that you are not a Christian at all. You understand that distinction? So of course, as we hear the Word of God, Christians are convicted by that Word and aren't just convicted, but then they respond in confession and repentance and obedience. But for the one who could really care less, that is a serious problem. And for them to continue to identify themselves as a Christian is really delusional. It's self-deception. And they really need to think that through clearly. So first, the command to love. The command to love. Look back at the text with me. It says in 1 John 2, verses 7 through 8, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. We just read this, but I want to read it again. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There are several things I'd like to point out for us here this morning from this passage. You will notice that John doesn't state what the commandment is. You're not going to see it there. And we know it's a commandment because the word is singular, But the subject of verses 9 through 11, as we look at the text, that follow verses 7 and 8, are clearly brotherly love. Love for one another. Brother in the context here is not a brother by blood or a sister by blood, by extension. But it is a Christian brother or sister. That's what he's talking about a Christian brother or sister. In other words, someone within the family of God. And we get into the family of God by being adopted into that family through Jesus Christ. You can see that in John 1.12. We become children of God. We are not born, as some have mistakenly thought, as children of God. Being brought up in a Christian house does not make you a Christian. You must become 
a Christian. For all Christians, then, God is their Heavenly Father. He is their Heavenly Father. So by extension, then, Christian brothers and sisters, male and female, in the Lord, are in part of the same spiritual family. Now, pretty simple stuff, but I just want to make sure we know the foundation of what's going on here. Now, John wants his readers to know that, listen, beloved, this is not a new commandment that I'm giving you, but one that you are already quite familiar with. In other words, he is not presenting some brand new, brand new idea that they had never heard before, some new teaching, but he is simply bringing up and recalling the very foundation, really, of Christianity. Loving one another is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. And beloved, they knew it from the beginning as they, when they were first exposed to the Gospel. That's that time reference, the beginning. It was when they were first exposed to the Gospel. One writer says this, The love command formed part of the habitual exhortation. That means this continual telling forth of this command given to all believers from the outset of their Christian lives. It was part of what they were instructed to do as those who were Christians. This love, in fact, was manifested or appeared even in the earliest days of the church when it first gave birth in Acts. And we see this love manifested in real ways in Acts 2, 44-45. I'll read it to you just to remind you of this. Here's what it says. And all who believed were together. They were together. And they had all things in common. And you know what they did? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now listen, this is not a call for socialism. What was going on is the church was willingly coming forth and loving their brothers and sisters in Christ who likely were experiencing persecution by the Jews for abandoning Judaism and embracing Christianity and therefore would maybe even be put out of their homes, lose their jobs, placed out of the synagogue, and they were in real and serious need. And the church, being together, decided, some of them, to sell their possessions as they saw fit, not because they were told to, not because it was mandated, not because they were forced to, to belong, but willingly on their own sold what they had, took those proceeds, laid it at the apostles' feet, and they used that to distribute help to those who were in need. Beloved, even strangers, people, they didn't know what's going on. Something really supernatural. Something really incredible. Love. Love for one another. As early as the beginning of the church. It didn't take 10, 20 years for them to figure this out. It happened right as the church began. They began to love one another. As I said earlier, the Apostle John will come back to this topic again later on in this letter. And we see that 
as we look at, for instance, 1 John 4, 20 through 21, just so that you understand, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the commandment of love. There in that passage, it says, if anyone says, if anyone says, I love God, how many times have you heard somebody say that? Plenty. And hates his brother. He's a liar. That's it. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We'll even see this, we won't get there, we're not in that book, but in the second book of John, or second John, he brings it up again. And you see there second John, verse 5, it's only one chapter long, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This command, as I've said, was not something that the apostle came up with out of the blue on his own, but it actually came straight from the lips of Jesus Christ 60 years, six decades prior to the writing of 1 John. So 60 years have passed now. And we see that, those words of Jesus, as recorded in John's Gospel, John 13, verses 34 and 35. You can turn there or you'll see the Scripture come up in a second. It says, and this is Christ speaking, He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. He's, he's saying this 60 years prior to John writing 1 John to the church. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We'll come back to that later. Also, John 15:12. it's said again by Jesus, this is my commandment. This is it. That you love one another as I have loved you. Unlike the false teachers or deceivers that I believe are referenced in 1 John 2.26, and we talked about this in the opening of 1 John, when we introduced, I introduced the book, these false teachers or deceivers who had joined the church community and were now promoting their new ideas, their new and improved and better ideas about Christianity taking the world's philosophy and kind of mixing it together with Christianity and coming up with something that is no longer really Christianity, but they're still trying to put that label on it. John reminds them now that his writing to them in 1 John is rooted not in his mind, his imagination, but rooted in Christ's teachings and is part of the apostolic message, remember the apostles, representatives of Jesus Christ, it is part and has been part of the apostolic message that had been proclaimed from the very beginning, even all the way back to the beginning of the church. However, 
While it is an old commandment that they have heard from the beginning, John says, he also says it is new in some way. Look back at the text. 1 John 2.8. Steph, turn me up a little bit, please. My voice is getting down. 1 John 2.8. At the same time, at the same time now, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, at first, it might sound like the Apostle John is contradicting himself. It's not new. It is new. What is it? But he is saying simply, on the one hand, this command has been around for a long time. It is not a new idea. But on the other hand, when looked at in another way, this command to love one another is new. Well, in what sense can you say it is new? Okay, well, I have read a few ideas, more than a few actually, about exactly what people think John means, but I just want to share with you, because I don't think you want to hear all these ideas, I want to share with you the one that I think fits best and makes the most sense in light of the context of 1 John. Here it is, okay? How is it new? We know how it's old. How is it new? It is qualitatively new. Qualitatively new. By that I mean there is something about this love command that is different or new in quality or character. In quality or character than any command to love before it. And that quality was perfectly manifested or evidenced or demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Just keep listening. One writer says this, Jesus was not the first to tell men to love one another. Right? Isn't that right? If we go back to our Old Testaments, we see there, for instance, in Leviticus 19.18, the Father... God says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is not the first to tell men to love one another, but He was the first man to truly reveal or to show us the self-giving and sacrificial, two key words, self-giving and sacrificial love of God, and then made Himself the model of, for his disciples to follow. Remember, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What's new about that? Just as I have loved you. It's qualitatively new in character and in quality. It is this newness of the commandment which is true or has become a factual reality in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in 1 John 2.8. How do we see that? We see that because Jesus Christ laid down His life for the sake of other, others. This was a sacrificial and self-giving love. 
that Christ modeled and now has commanded his disciples imitate. Imitate. In fact, just going back to the Gospel of John, when he says in John 15, verse 12, this commandment, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Wondering what that looks like? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. That is exactly what Jesus did. His love resulted in laying down his life for his friends. He gave himself up on the cross for his people. One writer says this, Never has that love been so clearly manifest, so clearly demonstrated, so as to be seen in its perfection as in Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a level of understanding of the perfection of that love which was never able to be understood by anybody until it was personified in Jesus Christ. He became the living example of what it means to truly love one another. Never has the world seen this perfect love until Jesus showed it. We can never find that perfect love toward others until we see it in Jesus. The newness isn't the, in the essential command. The newness is in the manifestation of its perfect glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is this newness of the commandment that is not only true or has become in history a factual reality seen in Christ, but guess what, beloved? It is also true or a factual reality now in the Christian. That's what the text says. Not only in Him, but also in you. As we see in the Christian, a self-giving, sacrificial, Christ-like love for one another. Beloved, this type of love is only possible among us because of the Spirit of God that abides in us and empowers Christians to live like this. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's only possible through the power of God's Spirit. In fact, Galatians 5.22, you probably have heard it, but it's that passage that talks about all the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, kindness, peace, right? But the very first fruit that's listed of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that resides inside of every true, authentic Christian, do you know what the first fruit is? And when you think of fruit, just think of a tree. A tree bears fruit, right? Christians bear fruit. What fruit? The Spirit's fruit. What's the first fruit? Listen, in Galatians 5.22, love. Love. Before we get to joy, peace, all those things, love. 
Now look back at the text, 1 John 2.8. It says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true, which is a, a reality in Him, a factual reality in Him, and in you. That's amazing. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This last phrase, one writer says, it provides the evidence that this new commandment of love is already operative, already at work, already happening in the lives of true believers. One writer adds this, the darkness of the old age in which men did not love in this sort of way is disappearing. And the light of the new age is already shining. There are still dark places, completely sunk in shadow. But there are places where there is bright light. And it is here that the disciples, true Christians, are to be found. Walking in the light and themselves shedding that light. I think that's good. Now let me add something here before we move on from this point. If love for one another is simply a sentimental feeling or affection for the other person, then how exactly can we be commanded to do it? How does that work? I mean, I can't create feelings out of thin air. But see, the truth is we're a little confused about the use of the word love because of the way we use it in our culture. Loving others in the church as Christ has commanded and empowered His people to do is less about sentimental feelings and more about sacrifice. Choosing willingly choosing to give of myself to another, even my life, if necessary, for the sake of my brother or sister, like Jesus did. Now, if you are not a Christian, then you will find this to be an unbearable burden. An unbearable burden. You won't want to do it. You won't find any joy in it if you try to do it. Nor will you able to be or find the strength to truly do it in a way that honors God. That is not only externally, but with the heart. Willingly. Desiring to give of yourself for your brother or sister. Beloved, it's a supernatural love. It's supernatural. And it comes as a result of an authentic, real, vibrant, living relationship with God. This brings me to the second point, and that is the cause of love. We've looked at the command of love. Now let's look at the cause of love. Look back at the text. Simple. Verse 10. We're going to skip verse 9 for a second. We'll come back to it. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother, here's what's true of that person, he abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
This point is really simple. The reason any Christian loves other Christians as Christ loves or has loved them and continues to love them with a costly, self-sacrificing and self-giving type of love is because they abide in the light. They live in the light is another way of putting it and that is exactly how the New International Version translates it. I'll show it to you here. Whoever loves his brother lives. He lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. The light that they live in, beloved, as we've been looking at the text of 1 John, is the light of God. It's the light of God which is a result of being in fellowship with God who is light. We saw that in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. We've looked at that over the past couple of weeks. Those who are saved, those who are Christians, have fellowship with God who is light. And they dwell in that light and they abide in that light. And as a result, they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. It is this fellowship with God that is the driving force behind a Christian's love for another Christian. 1 John 4, just so you're clear, it says it this way. Verse 7, you can flip over if you want. It says, Beloved, here again, John comes back to it. He'll come back to it several times. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and don't miss this, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is, this is not just love in a general sense. I, people will take this verse and make it mean all kinds of things, applied in all kinds of different ways, but in the context, here you can see it. This is specifically love for one another, and in the greater context, that means love for brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. Loving other Christians as Jesus loved. Beloved, that kind of love, you know where it's from? God. It's from God. It's not from us. That is why those who don't have a relationship with God struggle to love like this. And that is why those who do not have a relationship or that who do have a relationship with God can and do, what do you think? Love. Love. Do we love perfectly? Like Christ? Anyone want to raise their hand? Any volunteers that say you love perfectly like Christ? I would love to meet you and spend more time with you. (laughs) No. We still sin. We already have seen that in 1 John. We still sin and we fail. But I like what one writer says. So I captured this quote for you. Love is not going to be the perfection of your life, not on this side of heaven, but it will be, for the Christian, the direction of your life. You're going to have a heart of love for those around you, not a heart of hatred. You're going to want to serve those around you, not demand from them. You're going to want to help those around you, not harm them. 
You're going to want to help come to the aid of those around you to lift them up, not to step on them. The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. It means no change has happened. No work of God in the heart. One writer adds this. This type of love, this sacrificial self-giving love, the love Christ has commanded us to have for one another, the love that Christ manifested to us, the love that we can manifest because Christ lives in us. It seeks, this love, seeks to promote the highest good for the one love, even at the expense of self. Such love is not natural to unregenerate unsaved, unredeemed, not born again. That's all that means. Unregenerate. The unregenerate human nature. A nature that is still trapped and enslaved to sin. A nature that has not been set free from sin and empowered to live for God because it has not been born again. But it is the result of the love of God, this love, having been poured out in the believer's heart through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. It's an overflow of that love. When I love someone like that as a Christian, it's not my love. It's really just a releasing of the overflow of God's love through me. Let me add something here. John is not implying that we are only responsible to love other Christians, okay? I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that. That would obviously be inconsistent with the rest of God's Word. But it is specifically our love for one another as Christians that John is focusing on in this letter. That's the context, you see? So it would be inappropriate to take these passages and apply them in some other way, like he's talking about just love of people in general. He's not. He's talking about love of the brethren. Love of brothers and sisters in Christ. And let me add this. If a person has trouble loving those in the body of Christ, those within their family, so to speak, their spiritual family, what hope is there, do you think, that they would demonstrate then sacrificial love to strangers or even enemies? None. If they can't love those born of God, those in their family, why would we ever think they're going to love those outside of their family, those that are strangers to them, those that are hostile even to them? It starts there. Love of one another. The sacrificial love Christians express to one another, as I've said, just to pound it home again, it does not come from us. It does not come from Christians, but it is from God. It is from God and their Christ-like love for one another is possible and commanded because they have been, you know what? Born of God. That's why they have entered into a saving relationship with God. They have fellowship with Him. And as a result, they live and they abide and dwell in the light of God. 
in His truth and righteousness, in His love. Bottom line is this. The Christian who loves his brother, that is the one who lives in the light. The one who lives in the light is the Christian who loves his brother. There is no separating them. They are linked forever. Unbroken chains. They go together. There are some who want to try to break that chain and suggest you can, you can say you have fellowship with God and not love your brother. That's not what the Bible says. That brings me to the last point, the confirmation of love. The confirmation of love. So we've looked at the commandment of love and we've looked at the cause of love and now we're going to look at the confirmation of love. And by that I mean, what does the reality of unselfish, Christ-like love for other Christians confirm in my life? What does it prove to me? Well, it confirms this. I've been saying it now for the last 30 or so, 40 minutes. It confirms that I am truly a child of God. That's what it confirms. It provides me with the assurance that I, I too know God. I know God who is love and I have been born of Him and I have become a partaker of His divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4, check it out. And assurance of a relationship with God. Well, let me say it again. People try to find insurance, assurance of their relationship in all kinds of strange ways. But here's the real way to find it. Do you love like this? Do you love other Christians? Is it the direction of your life? That's true assurance. And this assurance of a relationship with God is wonderful and it's an important thing for the Christian to have. Remember 1 John 5.13, when he gets there, he'll say, listen, I've, I've written all these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, you might know that you know that you know, have no doubt that you have eternal life, that you have a relationship with the God of life. That's why I've written you these things, that you might know one way or the other whether you're in or whether you're out. But on the flip side of that, the total absence of love for other Christians, it also confirms something. And it provides an assurance that is not wonderful. And John makes that clear in verses 9 through 11 as, as he makes this very stark contrast between those who love and those who don't. Look back at the text with me. Now looking at verses 9 through 11 together. Whoever says, whoever says, whoever makes this profession, as many do, oh, I'm in the light. I know God. I have fellowship with Him. I have a relationship with God. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, they're in the darkness. They're still in the darkness. Don't be deceived. Don't be confused. Whoever loves his brother, they abide in the light, evidenced by the fact that they love their brother. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and even walks in the darkness and does not even know where he is going. He's like a blind man stumbling around wounding himself 
hurting others because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Just to be clear, beloved, just to be clear, because you might hear something from some other person who uh, proclaims the, speaks out of the Bible. Those who are still in darkness and walk in darkness, they're not just immature Christians. Someone might, might try, to, try to wrestle that out of this passage, but that's insanity. John doesn't allow for it. Read through the entire book of 1 John. You'll know there's no way that's what he's talking about. He's not saying, okay, yeah, you're still in darkness, you walk in darkness, you're just, you're just a baby Christian, you've still got to kind of get with it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they're lost. They have no salvation they, because they have no relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let me show you just one of the passages so you know that's what he's saying. 1 John 3, 14 through 15. We know, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. What do you think he's talking about? We know that we have passed from condemnation, from eternal damnation. We know it. And that we have a passed into life everlasting, eternal life with God. We know it. How do we know it, John? Because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love, you know where they are? They're still in that death. They're abiding in it. They're living in that death. They are still under the condemnation of God. How about one more verse? Everyone who hates his brother. Did you just say that, John? Yeah, he did. They're a murderer in their heart. They may not have committed it physically yet, but in their heart, they're a murderer. And you know, John says, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's not talking about just a weak Christian. He's talking about those who are Christians. Abide in the light. Have eternal life in them. And those who are not, abide in darkness, walk in darkness, and remain under God's condemnation and wrath. They don't have to, beloved. At any moment, at any time, they could repent, come to their senses, reach out and find salvation in Jesus Christ and come into that light. But let's stop playing games. Let's stop fooling people. Let's be very clear. And John draws very hard and distinct lines to make it clear. Now let me talk about the word hate for a second. Hate here is in the present tense. I've said that many times before. It's in the original Greek word that's there. It's in the present tense. It simply means this. This is talking about an ongoing pattern of hate. Present tense. Happening and continuing to happen. This is not talking about someone who temporarily fails, or falls, fails either way, who falls into the sin of hate, but then comes to their senses, realizes it has no part in the life of a Christian, those who walk in the light of God, who is love. They repent, they confess, they turn... And they obey and they love that one that they hated. 
Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not talking about that. If that's what it means, then we're all doomed. Okay? We're all doomed. Because at some point, we have had hatred in our heart, one to another, most likely. And if you haven't yet, just live a little bit longer in the church, and it will happen. You know, that's just a reality. But also notice something here. This is where it gets a little difficult. At least it was challenging for me. John only presents two options for the Christian. Just two. Love, hate. He does not present a third option that might seem neutral to us, like indifference or a lack of concern. I believe it would be a mistake for us as Christians to feel comfortable or okay because we don't characterize ourselves as haters, but at the same time, maybe we wouldn't characterize ourselves as lovers like this, self-sacrificial, self-giving love. We wouldn't characterize ourselves in that way. But I wouldn't characterize myself as a hater. But, but there are only two categories that John gives. There is, no, there is no middle ground with John. And one writer says this. Just let this, you know, I've read this and I read it again. I usually read my notes probably 20 times before I get here on Sunday. And so it just continues to, you know, tear away at me. And, and that's why I'm always so messed up when I come up here. But you get to hear it once, you know. You get to hear it once. So I, it, it, it's going to take a little bit, and that's okay. That's why I hope you guys would meditate on this stuff, think about it more than Sunday. You have to think about these things. Don't, don't resist it right away. Just listen to it. One writer says this, a trustworthy commentary that I use often. It says, how does John understand hate? Does he think in conceptual terms or concrete ones? Undoubtedly, the answer for him lies primarily in what a person does, what they do. Hate, then, is the absence of of the deeds of love. Think about that. Hate is the absence of the deeds of love. To walk in the light is to love one's brother. And God's love will express itself in concrete, real, tangible actions. If these are missing, it is not because love can be neutral or can even exist unexpressed. What? That is not the kind of love that I see in God? A love that exists unexpressed? Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, hate is present. Another writer adds this, and I found this to be a little more helpful to me. Anything from disdain, which is despise. So if I despise my brother or sister in Christ, anything from that, that's like the extreme, to indifference could qualify as a form of hate. Sometimes disdain and indifference seems to us polar opposites. That's how we we treat it. Oh, I don't have disdain for you. I just don't care for you. 
My indifference, the writer says to someone, comes out in the end equal. In other words, they both arrive at the same place. It comes out equal to my disdain. Whatever might be that attitude, whether it's just absolute indifference or whether it's utter hostility, it's virtually to have no regard for the other's condition. And if there is any regard on this level, on this you know, swing here from indifference to disdain, if there is any regard, it's simply to worsen it, the other's condition. So what I take from these comments, beloved, is indifference, indifference to my brothers or sisters in Christ is not okay. It's not okay. And it should be repented of. As a Christian, I'm not just to... The purpose of my life is not just to avoid hating my brothers and sisters in Christ. (laughs) But... Rather, I am to willfully and actively and obediently love them as the occasion to do so presents itself. Ultimately, it is the reality of the love for the brethren. It is that reality expressed in concrete actions, not mere words, Not mere sentiment, but in sacrificial, self-giving actions that assures me of my fellowship with God. Let me remind you of this passage one more time. John 13, 34 through 35. I just want to read it to you. Just listen. This is Christ. This is what He said. He said, listen, a new commandment I give to you. He spoke it to His disciples. And his disciples were responsible to to teach us all that he commanded them to do, right? And so it is with John as he continues to, to bring forth all that Christ has commanded. A new commandment I give to you, my disciples, those who follow me, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And you know what? By this all people will know. By this, by your love for one another, the same kind of love I've manifested to you and will continue to manifest to you, and you will see in the most incredible way when I hang on the cross for you. It is that kind of love that when people see it, they will know you are my disciples. They won't have any question about it because there's nothing like that type of love in all the world. It is a supernatural love that comes forth from knowing God and having a relationship with God alone. And beloved, that's really what should set us apart. Not only as individuals, but as a local body, as a church. They should, people should be able to look in on us from the outside and go, wow, what love they have for one another. Not indifferent. Not an absence of hate, not a, I could really care less about your life, but a true, practical, concrete, tangible, self-sacrificing, self-giving, unselfish love. By God's grace and His Spirit, may we be known, beloved, as His disciples, not because we say we are, 
but because our supernatural Christ-like love for one another is evident and real in this local body. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would continue to just mold us and shape us and transform us as we come in contact with your word that has been given to us through your apostle John. And specifically as we work through and analyze and read and meditate on and study this particular book of 1 John. Father, your word is powerful and mighty and is able to do its mighty work in us who are yours and who hear it and open our hearts and our minds to it and respond to it positively. Father, I pray it would, it would have its way with us. It would do that work. But Father, that is the only way we're, gonna, we're really going to make a difference, not only in our own lives, but in this messed up, lost, and broken, and confused, and loveless world. Father, I pray that we would continue to be radically transformed so that we can have a true and significant and long-lasting, enduring impact for you. This little local body, planted right here in Fontana, that we would make a difference, at least here, in this community. Not because we're something, not because we're special, but because you are something and you are special and you are working your power in and through us to accomplish your sovereign and good and holy and righteous and wonderful purposes in this community and beyond. Father, do that. We pray, I pray, I beg and I Please do that for your glory that you would be lifted up, that Christ would be put on display, and that more would not only come to know Him, but then be able to truly worship Him. For that is right and good and appropriate for your creation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.